Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by On the Record. For your consideration, the HBO Max original documentary film On the Record is described by The Guardian as a landmark. No documentary has so powerfully connected the causes of Me Too and Black Lives Matter. On the Record presents the stories of Drew Dixon, Sherry Schur, and Sillai Abrams as they grapple with their decision to become one of the first black women in the wake of Me Too to publicly accuse hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons of sexual assault. From filmmakers Kirby Dick and Amy Zarin, whose body of work has covered sexual assault in the military with the Invisible War, college campuses with the hunting ground, and now the music industry. On the Record dives into the ways black women are too often ignored when alleging sexual assault and the cultural forces that pressure them into silence. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large, and this is our first recording in a post-Trump universe, at least <laughs> so far as American governance is concerned. And while we are not necessarily a political podcast, it does feel like it's worth acknowledging, Anne, that most of us were glued to our screens and experiencing the narrative of a transfer of power this week. So I have to tell you, I, I had a lot of fun watching this. I thought it was a pretty good show, all things considered. What was it like out in on your side of the country? I just got up in the morning and got my coffee and got in front of the TV. And, and uh, so it's three hours uh, earlier here. Uh, and I, I, I was crying, honestly, uh, a lot because it was just such a relief. And so even, you know what I got the biggest kick out of in the whole day? I mean, first was the inauguration in the morning, but I, I listened to NPR all day long and they had the um, live press conference. And there was this woman who actually reminds me of Allison Janney on the West Wing, who's the new uh, press secretary. And she's answering all the questions and she's totally on top of it. And she's super smart and she's really honest and cool. God forbid, I mean, I know she's gonna spin the press like everyone else, but it was a contrast, shall we say. And the press corps was asking her long complicated policy questions and she was answering them. And he did like 15 things in one day and it was pretty splendid. Yeah, I mean, look, you can't just turn a switch and fix all the damage of the last four years, but it did feel like there was some sense of, if not immediate normalcy, at least a stabilization of the way the system is supposed to work. And I wonder, you know, we talk a lot about documentaries that wrestle with all these things that are going on in our society. And I wonder how this is going to impact the the way we see stories coming out in the year ahead and the kinds of things people start making because there's well, there's a lot of problems in the world right now. And it was, I think, almost too easy to look at Trump as the big problem we all need to dwell on. There was almost like this existential reckoning in the doc world after Trump was elected. Like, do, how do we get outside of our bubbles and all that kind of stuff? So it'll be really fat to have, having seen all this happen and the, what we're feeling to see how that we're impacts hope. this stuff. We're feeling yeah, like that would we be nice. roll, roll up our sleeves and, and, and get back to 
fixing things um, that were very broken. And, and the point is, is that the Trump administration, when faced with an actual crisis, just made it worse. And it's true. And so We've certainly seen a lot of documentaries about that rushed along just to contribute to the dialogue. And that's been helpful. Yeah, a lot of the docs that, that were heading into the, the election were so focused on the election. In fact, I, I wonder, as we uh, look at the doc race, there's um, a, a short list of 15. Part of what's going on is, is we're heading into all these short lists. I think that some of the more political election focused documentaries may move back in the field a little bit, almost as if they've become less timely. I'm well, the question is, yeah, happens. are they are they strong enough on their own merits, right. you know, as That's opposed right. to just benefiting from that hook? I mean, certainly Borat and what it did in the political angle of that movie is not hurting the conversations around Sasha Baron Cohen. That's going to be dealing with the yeah. same old issues as, as ever. It, yes, it gets added gravitas, but it's still a comedy, you know? Still a comedy. But he's also I got Chicago 7. Most no, so, Bacalova will get in. You call well, that's, that's a no-brainer. But with Chicago 7 as well, I mean, that's that's It'll a very Biden-ish movie. Yeah, he'll get you nominated. First. Biden was already ready to run for office when the trial of Chicago 7 happened. So he's sort of part of that story too. Somebody will get into that White House for the first White House screening. I'll be curious to see who cracks well, the code the point. on that I mean, if you, if you saw the, the show last night, the special that was hosted by Tom Hanks with all the different yes. musical acts and, and, and all the cheering on of the frontline uh, workers and so forth, it was very sincere. It was very moving and very reassuring and comforting in a certain kind of way. Um, and and Tom Hanks, fabulous. Who could? Who else could have done? Well, that? he was. He is. He is. In the some avuncular ways, uncle. Uniter. <laughs> you know, it's a sort of like even in certain parts of the country that might not be thrilled with the outcome of the election, they're like, oh, I love Tom Hanks. And actually, I didn't realize this immediately because my mind was elsewhere, but but my wife pointed out well, that, you know, a commercial popped up for News of the World exactly. on ABC. And it was Doesn't like hurt. the perfect synergy, you know, especially when he's not out there campaigning. And uh, I thought John Legend gave an amazing performance, incredibly good. well done. It felt a bit like watching the Oscars on some level. I mean, the kind of camera movement and so forth. For this it was very event. well produced beautifully orchestrated only an hour and the other thing that's interesting um, I think they could follow that model for the Oscars they could have people uh, you know accepting their Oscars in different locations and yeah. turn it into a global event right we um, have evolved beyond the zoom box as the best solution because there's they're, no they're, way some I mean in theory I'm just coming up with somebody out of the top of my head who isn't even uh, he's actually all right. So Pedro Almodovar, maybe his short will be right. uh, a winner on Oscar night. He's not schlepping out to L.A. from <laughs> Spain. You know. I don't know, man. He's gotten a lot done this year for a guy in one of the hardest hit countries in Europe. I mean, he made that movie with Tilda Swinton on the set and controlled every aspect of it and then traveled to Venice, you know, so. Who knows? But I, I agree. And the time zone thing would be a bit tricky, but I'm sure they'll figure I'm sure they'll figure something out. It, it is interesting. Everything builds on what came before. So that's a good point. There's no the question Oscars. the Oscars will happen. There's no questions that it will be some kind of hybrid. And can so, there's some conversations around that moving back. Sure. So can is, is now <coughs> reportedly looking at July. 
as as a, a big window somewhere in the vicinity of Fourth of July or later. Because and, Terry um, Primo wants a live event, he just won't settle for hybrid. I I think it's a, a, a you know I've talked about this a lot before. It's we we've had him on the podcast. He's the face of the festival. But what you're really talking about when you talk about Can is the board, the French industry, what they want. They want a show of strength. They want to bring back film culture in a way that looks like what it looked like before and doing a virtual festival just won't do that. I mean, I, I'm pulling for the Berlin Alley, but it's kind of virtual format is just not going to make the same noise that it did last yeah. year. So that, that's the back And we're talking about Sundance um, uh, next week, obviously. So I hope we can go, I hope we, I hope they don't do it over 4th of July weekend in that, because that's a real repudiation of whatever U.S. presence they, they might still need and they do still need movie stars and stuff, but we'll see what happens. I did think it was notable and we should get into this. Searchlight Pictures dated a bunch of stuff for 2021, but we've got one movie that's not dated and that's Wes Anderson's French Dispatch. So there's no question that's going to be at Cannes whenever Cannes is, that was always the plan, you know. Yeah, so they were just sort of in limbo. I mean, it's it's a really fascinating kind of challenge. I mean, Venice did really well last year. It launched Nomadland. They had a red carpet. They, they have locked dates. They're planning to do that. And Toronto is eyeing the same kind of thing. So the question is, what do you benefit from waiting for Cannes when there's so much an, an unknown aspect to it when you do have perhaps something more viable taking place in the fall? So. I'm sure those questions are being tossed around a lot of marketing and business meetings. But and it puts uh, us right back where we were a, a year ago. I mean, it's really something. You and I were heading for, for Berlin, at, you know, uh, in, in February. It's just- And we had no idea. We had no idea. I mean, I remember article. the one thing I remember, there, we've talked about the weirdness of being in Berlin as this happened. You canceled a trip you were going to do afterwards. For me, what was, I kept thinking back on was the interview I did with Zsa Zsa Ke, uh, who had a documentary at the festival and had just sort of figured out a way to get to Berlin at the last minute. And just, I felt, I felt, felt increasingly naive about the way that I had spoken to him, asking him, well, how did you get out of the country? You know, what, how is this right, impacting you your have, industry? You didn't like know, you had no, no idea. I mean, and, and, you know, he was not going to say, you know, you better be careful. This no, this he'd get in trouble with his government, no. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, and also I think even in China, they were not necessarily prepared for this thing spreading as globally and as quickly as it did. And in fact, you know, look, China is still struggling with this virus, and and so are we. So so we're still in that. But the conversations have evolved in the sense that people know. Uh, you have to be open to a wider range of possibilities of worst case scenario, best case scenario, and somewhere in between. So hopefully that continues to evolve. I do think that the, the searchlight announcements are interesting beyond the, the absence of, of uh, French dispatch because it does show you how they are eyeing September, October, and December as a period of time when movies that they hope will make some noise could actually do that on some level. Well, I'm beginning to, yeah, people I know are beginning to get vaccinations. Alex Gibney got one in New York. Uh, um, people have been lining up at Dodger Stadium. Tom Bernard from Sony Pictures Classics posted on Instagram. is like, okay, the, the biggest uh, defenders of theatrical note at all yeah, costs. Yeah, he's invested in people <laughs> getting their vaccines, for sure. That's, so that's really nobody, what it's about. That's what it's about. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like if nobody else goes back to movie theaters, at least old people have to feel safe. Otherwise, (laughs) they will go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it'll be fascinating to see how that impacts the conversation. You got Antlers coming up from Scott Cooper in late October and then Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro. And they're putting that in December, which means that the Guillermo del Toro Shape of Water uh, paradigm is being followed with obvious Oscar hope, hope there. They wouldn't put it otherwise. And early December too. I mean, obviously that's subject to change, but that's that's a fascinating one because that one was not done when the pandemic settled in. Right. They were like only, I think 25 or 40, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I, there's an Instagram live I did with Guillermo around that time where he talks a bit about it and then what it was like to come back to work and all the procedures they had to go through. You know, a cast like Bradley Cooper, there was a lot writing on that, but they finished it. I'll be curious to see what kind of life that one has. Like, do they take that to festivals? I mean, the one festival that, when the story I did a little while ago uh, about festival dates didn't comment at all was Telluride, presumably because they're taking a wait and see approach and don't want to just announce the festival is happening and then get caught in a situation where it's actually not possible. So is Telluride a festival that could be hybrid if they wanted to? I mean, they were refused. They had the option to do that last time and they didn't do it. They were like, can. They were sticking to their guns that it was a live event until it was not possible. Well, I think it's important to evaluate each of these events on their own terms and what kind of audience they attract. And Telluride has been so... Uh, tightly wound together with the experience on the ground. You and I have had it many years in a row, you know, being there, walking around at the the opening brunch that overlooks the mountain where all the talent is there. And yeah, then, that's the lure. You know, the summer camp just, is the lure. Yeah. Doing that virtually, I mean, I think certainly when everybody's doing that just to get something out there, which was the case last fall, is not really all that practical, especially when the main allure of the festival are the bigger movies and the bigger movies with distribution don't want to do virtual festivals. So we'll see if that changes, but it's hard for me to picture a company like Searchlight thinking, well, we're going to do a virtual premiere for Nightmare Alley with all these big stars and stuff and have the, make the same kind of noise you could make with Shape of Water, which went to Venice and then Telluride. It's all the same logic that applied last time. It's whether Searchlight is willing to send somebody to Colorado if there's any danger. And it's the same with Netflix and everyone, any, anyone else who, who would want to participate. Yeah, so. I mean, we'll get into Sundance next week, but it is kind of interesting to me when you look at that lineup and it's like, it's even when people aren't talking publicly about why they're making certain business decisions, you just look at the lineup and you can see how things are going. Like it's like the lineup with a bite taken out of it. Very, very few movies have distribution. And, uh, and the ones that do, you know, it's like an HBO doc or something like that. It's just going to use it as like a little marketing bump, but by and large, it's, it's just, I don't think the industry is yet convinced that this model makes sense. So the question is, is the hybrid approach going to mature in 2021 so that it is possible to still have a physical event that can make an impact, but for those who are unable to go because we are not fully recovered as a society. That's my guess. Do that. Yeah. So, yeah. so we'll see be, how that goes. The stars can be accessible uh, via, via Zoom if, if need be. 
Um, so why, so why don't we get into the uh, other award season news beyond the festival question, because there's quite a bit going on, including the hardest categories to call right now, because we don't have shortlists, specifically doc and foreign. We talked a bit about doc and foreign, more about foreign international in the past, but I think that it's worth revisiting because at the moment, there's a lot of unknown factors. So, so basically what do you see as a what's going on is that in order to, they've changed the rules. They've completely changed the rules. They've expanded the list of the short list to 15 instead of 10, which was up from nine. And instead of having this uh, executive committee make uh, saves, uh, this is all going back to movies like uh, four months, three weeks, two days, that was the Palme d'Or winner at Cannes and didn't get a foreign language nomination that year. And so they imposed a hand-picked executive committee that would take the, the regular few hundred people that are going to screenings in LA and, and voting would be a, a more mainstream group. Um, and they would come up with seven in recent years and then the executive committee would add three. So this time for various reasons, including the pandemic, they're not doing that. And they're uh, just letting everybody vote. And there are more people voting and there are more people around the world voting. And uh, hopefully uh, that international component will, will make uh, a sophisticated, it'll be curious, we'll be curious to see. One of our favorites, by the way, um, the uh, Mexican entry is doing very well, I hear. Oh, it helps when you have Netflix behind you, no matter what the category is. And you've got is. Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuarón. Uh, I'm no longer here. And then, and then we have um, other movies. So what's going on? I know you're doing this, I'm doing this. Is I'm just, I'm on a complete binge uh, uh, watching uh, foreign titles and trying to stay awake at night uh, on my laptop or on my TV, depending on what I can get. Um, but because they're, you know, foreign language movies are more demanding. They're not necessarily engaging. They're not necessarily out to please. Well, I think let's That's be clear. You can say about that. About, you can say that about any movies, and the it's it's just more like what we're talking about is a wider range of cinema from different parts of the world, and you never quite know what you're going to get because it's subject to so many different aspects. You know, which what how a country decides what's worth submitting and so forth. So it does feel like it's a more daunting task for for a lot of people including academy voters all right so one of, some of the dates that are coming up uh we're going to talk about sundance next week that's january 28th that it starts um february 1st is when the preliminary oscar voting begins that's when people are going to be voting for the foreign language and the docs and, and everything else uh to get to their list the docs also have a list of 15. um and we have the ida's the ida's uh crip camp was the big winner along with uh, Garrett Bradley uh, for time. So those are two of the top contenders. That seems like those in. are definitely in there. And then yeah. it's just a question of sussing out what else is going to make some noise. By the way, yeah. you saw Mole Agent, which I've been championing I loved for Mole Agent. Time. You were both so right a doc about contender that. and and that's Chile's Chile's Oscar is in both so. also the the Italian entry from Gianfranco Rossi. Very different. Very very different. And Mole Agent is at the tearjerker. It just breaks your heart. Yeah. It's great. It's a, it's so cool how it's a spy movie, but also this heartwarming story about an old man providing joy for all these people. I mean, it plays like a narrative, you know, it's but really, it's such a surprise. He's a sweet guy. And because it's a documentary, um, you know, it's happening in front of your eyes and you're seeing these real interactions. It's not fabricated. And so you fall for him too, but you can just see how desperately lonely these women 
actually are. A similar movie actually is uh, Never Gonna Snow Again, uh, which is the Poland entry. <laughs> and, and in that case, it's a masseur who's going around to all these lonely rich people and massaging them. And you see how you know, well off they are, but at the same time, he's this guy who's trying to make them feel better. Yeah, well, I, will, I should also plug Vitalina Varela, the Portuguese submission, because I just wrote about that. And Willem Dafoe is quoted in there, which I, I think is valuable because he's a member of the actors branch and he's encouraging Academy voters to make time for this movie that's a really beautiful kind of documentary fiction hybrid about a woman returning, an immigrant woman from, um, uh, from uh, Africa returning to uh, Portugal to revisit the neighborhood where her dead husband lived. And um, it's just it's just such a striking, gorgeous film, and it's demanding, but people need to commit time to to see it. So I hope that stays in the conversation as well. And you listen caught up to with Professor Cohn. Listen please. to Professor Cohn. So, make, so make make time for it. I showed it to students. Actually, my students have seen this film, and and I think are often surprised by what I've shown it twice because it first uh, it first premiered in Locarno in 2019 and they're often surprised by what they get from a movie that they, they have to open themselves up for so and one of the things that's going on this year more than I've ever seen it before and I, I I'm pretty sure this is true um uh, Kate Blanchett is a big supporter of the movie Apples which was hmm. it's an interesting thing because she was the head of the jury in um Venice and she went to see it because she'd heard good word of mouth and then she became very friendly uh, with the with the director and and now you know of course her production company's developing something with him so it's this is the, the there's a lot of this where Jane Pond is supporting one movie or you know they they host screenings this this goes on to a certain extent but I see more of it with the foreign language uh, entries so February first is also when the Critics Choice Awards ballots go in and then February fourth is when the SAG nominations are announced and February 7th is when the Critics Choice nominations are announced and February 9th is the shortlist. So this is, yeah. shortlist is everything. It's VFX and shorts and animation shorts and you know, make That's a lot of stuff. Like that. That's yeah, a lot score, of stuff in a short song, period. All that stuff. Yeah, and so most people won't be able to keep track right of now. all this. I mean, it's gonna be so much all at once that will give us a much clearer sense of what has momentum. I mean, that's what sort of I'm curious to see is how will the conversation be altered from where it is right now on every level? Because even the, the best picture race, you start to get a sense of, um, you know, where there's a big win or where there's an upset from some of these. Yeah, um, that's what it's all outcomes. about. It's reading, it's reading so. all the momentum as it goes forward. Yeah, so, so we'll see what happens on that front. Also, the New York Film Critics Circle is live streaming its awards on Sunday afternoon on YouTube. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to those people because I've, I've been in the position of organizing an award show, but certainly not in these conditions. I don't know what kind of presenters they have, but they, they were able to put something together and it just sounds like it was an it doesn't incredibly sound like complex process. No, and we, uh, let me be clear, we've been using Dow Downtown for a while, which has this giant Buddha sculpture uh, behind the stage that some winner inevitably makes fun about. And it's always this great body evening where there's like a back and forth between the winners and the critics, and it's very New York, and they won't necessarily capture that. But it is interesting just hearing a little bit about the process of getting that together because the entire infrastructure is trying to collaborate here. Like the award specialists are also 
trying to get presenters to, to do these things. And in theory, you could argue it's easier to get a high level presenter to record something on their computer than it is to get them to travel to this event. So maybe that's a benefit, but it's, it's kind of hard to say. And we'll see how some of these other events take place from you know, the independent spirits to the Oscars. I mean, these are real open questions about you know, just how something plays on the screen when you don't have that same hustle and bustle in the room, but yeah, you know. no, we're missing the hustle and the bustle for sure. Um, also, the indie spirits are moving up uh, by a few days to Thursday. And um, next week, we'll probably have a little more intel on exactly what they're doing, why they're moving up their nominations so early, three months ahead. They're going to announce the indie spirit nominations like next week. Which yeah, great. it feels a little early, but I guess there's plenty to discuss. So, yeah, you know, I'm talking to somebody sense. there later today, so we'll find yeah, out. Yeah, we'll um, see. Exactly. So next week, we'll be getting straight into Sundance. And uh, I certainly appreciate the festival steering clear of the inauguration this year, so we can keep that experience separate. But I am personally going to make an effort to be as social as possible during this festival from the confines of Long what, Island What, you're going to do Queens. the waiting room thing? All kinds of stuff. I, I, I hope to, to do the, the virtual waiting room. I want to see people on Zoom for virtual dinners. I've been doing a lot of research on the social opportunities that, that New Frontier has built. And as I've well, mentioned before, I'm into VR. Shot. So you yeah. can do the VR. So, There's so VR the, parties going on. There, there will be VR parties, including one that, that we are hopefully we're going to host. One, right? Yeah. So one thing I will say, it's in my understanding that all the directors of the festival, thanks to Oculus, are going to have headsets at the festival. So if there are Sundance people listening to this podcast who got this weird thing in a box and they haven't opened it, I really do encourage people to, to play around with that tech. They have, they have artists who make work in digital spaces that are usually only appreciated by their peers because of the barrier to entry. But it's really extraordinary stuff. They have live theater experiences. They have 360 videos that put you in the mindset of a character in a different kind of way. And in the past year in the pandemic, I've, I've gotten much more used to the technology and I'm trying to understand that space more. And there's a lot to learn there. It just, it requires a different kind of commitment. And if you were ever going to make that commitment, I'd say now is a good time. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to go into the closet and pull out my cardboard uh, <laughs> from No, it won't take you too far, unfortunately. <laughs> it won't take you too. It's funny, I had Ruby Rich, uh, I was on a panel with her virtually, and, and she was saying how every year she would she would do the VR experiences at New Frontier and then get sick because they didn't properly sanitize the headset. So that's not a problem this year, but getting your hands on a headset is. So hopefully some people can figure that out. In any case, Anne, I will see you in Sundance mode and uh, I hope you get a chance to enjoy whatever kind of calm this weekend might bring before things get crazy once again. Just think of me, uh, you know, getting in, getting in deep to the indie uh, foreign language movies. That's me. All Keep right. It. Okay. All right. Bye, Ann. See you next week.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.